Today on Graceful Truth, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will return us to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Our series, No One Like God, continues. Make it a point to join us and be encouraged. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable His ways. Hi there. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our series, No One Like God, will continue today. We're in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. The perfect knowledge of God, the profound wisdom of God, the unsearchable judgments of God, and the amazing ways of God. We'll focus in on these aspects of our unknowable yet knowable God. With the glorious details, here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Turn over to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. A little mini-series here on no one like God, and we're in part three of that. I just want to read for us. Out of Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has made who or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen. We've been looking here at some different aspects of our God. And uh, we saw the first week the perfect knowledge of God and what that entailed, what that came into our understanding to mean. And then also the profound wisdom of God. Not just the knowledge that he knows everything, but he also understands how to use that knowledge to carry out his ways and his purposes. And then the last time we were together, we looked at the unsearchable judgments of God. And today we're going to be looking at the end of this verse where it says his paths or his ways are beyond tracing out or or beyond finding out the amazing ways of God. Have you ever thought about how God works in us and through us and in the world in which we live? And sometimes we fail to understand that God's ways are always right. God's ways are always true. God's purposes will always be carried out. If we can only understand that and remember that when we're in desperate times of need and fretting and worrying about whatever, um, just stop and realize that, you know what, there are many times in the lives of saints in the Bible where it looked like, you know, the wheels were coming off the cart. Literally, it didn't look good. And yet, God was right there with them, and he knew exactly what was going on, and he knew exactly why it was going on, and for how long it would continue to go on. And he also understood the purposes that he ordained for that to take place. Sometimes God's ways are mysterious. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. When you stop and think of what Isaiah is, God is saying there through the prophet Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. That means basically that we have to understand that God is in charge here. We're not. And, and that's why it's so good to understand this God that saved us. So many times Christians fail to understand the God who saved their soul. And so, yeah, they're trusting him for salvation. But boy, when the, the finances don't add up at the end of the month, they're, they're freaking out. Or when the relationship's hitting rock bottom, they're, they're, they're just beside themselves. And we have to be reminded that, you know what, we're under God's care, especially if we're his children. And so when he says here in the ESV, it says how inscrutable his ways or paths, you might say. Um, That word here refers to the course of all the judgments and the knowledge of God that we've been studying the last couple times together. And what it means is, you know what, these judgments actually take a certain course in human history. God doesn't just willy-nilly up there pronounce judgments and, and, you know, carry out things just for the fun of it. They have a purpose. Watchman Nee wrote a little book, Worshiping the Ways of God. And he, he said this. He said, he defined God's ways as this. His ways are the manner in which he himself, for his own good pleasure, accomplishes what he has willed to do. That's what the ways of God are. It's the manner in which God himself, for his own good pleasure, whatever he desires to do, and he accomplishes what he is willed to do. That includes God's choosing of Isaac, the son of promise. That includes God rejecting Ishmael. Um, His way was to choose Jacob. Most of us probably would not have chosen Jacob. He was deceptive. He was a deceiver. But he rejected Esau, who apparently was a much nicer man. When you stop and think about it, God chose Judah, who thought that he was having sex with a prostitute, but actually it was his daughter-in-law. And he was to be the ancestor of the Messiah. I don't think we would have made those choices. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1... I love Paul, what he writes here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 27, actually start in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That's Paul's way of saying, you ain't nobody. That's it. Basically, you're nobody. You may think you're somebody, but you're not. In verse 27, he goes on, he says, but, I love the buts of scripture, just love them. Whenever there's a but, it's like, wow, you know, something's good coming. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why did he do this? Verse 29 tells us, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ. Because of God, you are in Christ. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We talked about boasting in the cross on Good Friday. But here, we're told to boast in the Lord. Isn't it interesting that when Paul is speaking here, he goes to the opposite of everything that the world would consider right and just and good. And he says, no, God doesn't operate that way. God does just the opposite. And we all see it in our own lives. Sometimes when we're put in a certain situation and God wants to use us and we're willing to be used and all of a sudden we find ourselves talking to someone about something we have no idea. What we're going to say to this question that they're posing us, maybe about the Lord, maybe it's a brother who needs encouragement, we have no idea. But in the quietness of our own heart, we cry out to God and we ask God, give me wisdom during this time. And lo and behold, that's exactly what God does. Because see, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about our willingness It's about us being willing, brothers and sisters, to be used of God for his glory. If we can just get that in our mind and in our focus, it would help us as we minister to one another and and, and to those who are even outside the body of Christ. It would help so much. Because all of a sudden, it's not about you going out into this sin-stained, cruel world and sharing Christ and, oh, you're going to be rejected. So what do you do? You don't do it. Well, if it's not about you, you're not going to care. You're going to be willing to offer yourself, as Paul does, to the Lord for whatever may come. That's why even in the New Testament, in the New Testament church, you see these disciples, you know, Christ is off the scene. He's gone, but he's given them the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, we're going to preach Christ. And they start doing it. And they start to turn towns upside down because of their preaching. And people start coming to Christ. They're getting saved which is disrupting so much stuff in their, in their culture, in their lives. And so the religious people of the day got upset. Hey, you can't be doing this. Who do you think you are? Aren't these guys from Galilee? You know, what are all these people following? These? See, there's a jealousy there. Why? Because in the religious realm, it was all about them. That's all they wanted was people to look at them. That's why they would dress up and parade around like there's some, you know, godly thing. They'd pray out on the corner and, and yet you have some poor beggar that, Lord, be merciful to me. And Jesus says, that's the prayer that's going to be heard. It's not the one that's prayed by the guy who's all dressed up in his fancy robe, smells nice, says all the right words. See, and that's the thing. When you go out of these doors and you minister, it's not about you. It's not about you being rejected. It's not about you being embarrassed. It's more about Christ. Are you going to give the message of the gospel to those who have yet to hear? And as you do that, are you expecting God to work in ways that otherwise would be impossible? And so these ways, it basically says they're incomprehensible. We cannot understand the ways of a sovereign God. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here in Romans 33. He, tell, he told us in past studies, God's wisdom and his knowledge, they're perfect. That his decrees, his paths, which flow from the wisdom and the knowledge of God, are unfathomable. They're beyond tracing out. You can't 
possibly mine out what they are. Inscrutable. That's, that's the idea here. And, and that should, first of all, it should offer us humility. Because we begin to understand that this is about God. It's not about us. We should be humble about our inability to comprehend how God works. I mean, why is one baby born perfect and another baby born with health issues? I don't know. But you know what God does? It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. See, when we think of things like that, we have to come humbly before God. And it also causes us to be in awe of God and to praise Him for His greatness. When you stop and you just look at your own life and you look back at where you were before Christ and where you are now that you're in Christ... I'm not saying you're all put together. I mean, we all probably got a long way to go in our sanctification process. But I trust you're a little better off than when you first came to Christ or before you came to Christ. Why? Because you understand that, you know what? God paid your debt. He paid your sin. You have that understanding. And we talked before about the judgments of God and they refer to God's decrees. They flow out of his infinite knowledge, his perfect wisdom. These judgments just aren't things that he doles out, you know, willy-nilly. No. Well, the paths here refer to this, the course of these judgments and, and how they actually take place in human history. They're parallel, these two terms. He says of the first, his judgments cannot be searched to the bottom. That's that, that Greek word there. The depth, of the riches and wisdom, knowledge of God. You can't even get to the bottom. And then he says of the ways of God that he says here that they cannot be followed to the end. You know, usually when you're on a path, you want to get to the end of the path. And you want to know what's at the end of the path. Well, you can't follow the end of God's path because you don't know. They're beyond our comprehension. And what this simply is saying is Paul is saying, you know what? Don't think that you got God figured out. You can't figure God out. We don't even understand anything about God other than apart from his revelation. And God does reveal certain things to us through his word. We know that God has a plan, that he has certain events that he carries out in human history. But Paul, once again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, here's what Paul says about the ways of God. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared. For those who love him. In other words, you, you can pray all day long and you're not going to get it. You're not going to say, oh, I understand my purpose exactly. This is exactly what it's going to be. Maybe some of you set out in life purposing in your heart to do one thing. And now you look back and you're like, wow, I did something totally different. And it was because God worked. Because God moved in my life. Changed me. See, that's why when we come to planning out our priorities. And planning out. What should really matter to us? If God doesn't have the priority in your life, you're going to allow the things of the world, work and all these other things that even family get in the way of what God wants you to do. And we shouldn't do that. But he also says there in verse 10, he says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So as we're faithful to follow God each and every day, God's ways will be made known to us, not all at once, obviously, He doesn't reveal everything to us. A lot of times he doesn't give out the certain details of events in our lives. And in a way, I'm kind of glad about that. I mean, think of it. If he said, oh, you know what? Next next Friday, you're going to be in a car wreck. Just to let you know. I just want to let you know. A little 
little side detail. I mean, think you, you would live this next week, you, you would just be beside yourself. See, and that's, and that's what's good is God cares for us each step of the way. And that's why it says his, his word is a light, what? To the path, to our steps, right? As we take each and every step, God is there to show us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. You know, there's some things that God has not revealed to us and he will not reveal to us, probably ever. That's what makes him God. Well, this word here, inscrutable, or beyond tracing out, some translations have, it's kind of an interesting word in the original language. But it's based on a noun which means footprint. That's what it means. It suggests that although we don't know where God is coming from or where he is going, we do see footprints. We do see evidences, footprints in our own lives that God is there. Sometimes they puzzle us. Sometimes they're a comfort to us. But I thought it was interesting because James Boyce points out some examples of God's footprints throughout history. And he he gives a list of several individuals. And the first one was Abraham. I mean, if you think of the story of Abraham, that's really God's preparation of these special people through which the Messiah will will, will come. And God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. And God promised Abraham. He said, you would become a father of a great nation. He says in Genesis 12 too, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Guess what? Poor Abraham never saw it. He did not become a father of a great nation in his lifetime. In fact, for years, he and his wife had no children at all. Think about that. Wait a minute, God, you promised me this big family. What's going on? I mean, we're getting old. And I'm sure when that promise was made to Abraham, he let everybody know about it. So he's walking around all those years looking at his wife, looking at his empty house, just him and her. Kind of, It's an embarrassment to them in view of God's promise. Hey, God promises we're going to be the father of men. We don't have any, not one. Abraham's original name was Abraham, and it means father of many. Can you imagine having a name and trying to live up to it all those years? But he went through most of his life without any children at all. And just, this is what I mean, the ways of God are beyond our understanding. When he was 100 years old, that's crazy. I mean, we don't even live to be 100. Sarah was 90 years old. I mean, basically, you you could honestly say, even back then, they were kind of beyond their age of having children. It's not something they were entertaining anymore, you might say. They didn't expect a little junior wasn't going to happen. Think about how they must have felt. I mean, here they are. They have this promise from God. Nothing. Well, we know what happened in the story. God intervened, and he caused Isaac, the son of promise, to be born I mean, but did you ever read that and just go, what's, what's the hold off here, God? What, what are you making people suffer for? Why this long delay? I mean, why couldn't it have taken place sooner and naturally? And why did it have to happen this way? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. As a matter of fact, all we can say is, you know what? The paths, the ways of God are beyond our finding out. They're beyond our understanding. Or you think of somebody like Moses. Here he is. He's lifted up as this great emancipator and lawgiver of Israel. I mean, Moses must have understood that God's hand was upon him. 
And that it was time for deliverance of the people from Egypt. And God had promised that many years before. Finally, this time comes for this promise to be fulfilled. So he starts what he thought would be a successful rebellion by killing an Egyptian, doing it his own way. And what happens? The plan backfires. And he has to flee Egypt. Moses was 40 years old when he left Egypt. Think about this. And for the next 40 years, this talented, highly educated man on the backside of the desert, that's where he lives, working as a shepherd. I mean, he must have walked around each day kicking the sand going, man, I am a failure. What is going on here? And at the end of that time, when he was 80 years old, he's 80. God sent him to Egypt. By the way, you're going to go back and you're going to tell him, let my people go. Now that you're well done, you've been toasting out there in the desert. I mean, I feel for Moses. You know, I still remember the day when we, when we knew God was calling us down to the desert, down to the Coachella Valley from the East Bay. We lived in Milpitas at the time. And it was in August when we first went down there. We were going down there for a wedding. The pastor's son was getting married. I'm kind of looking forward to it. You know, it'll be a wedding. It'll be nice. And the pastor said, oh, by the way, while you're down here, I want you to do an interview with the, the elders and see if, you know, you want to move down and, and become the youth pastor down there at Calvary Chapel, Indio it was. And I thought, well, okay. And a lot of things in my head just said, I don't know if this is good, bad, whatever. I was working in between churches at a fast frame at the time. I'd been there for several years making picture frames, which I enjoyed, but that wasn't what God called me to do. So we end up down there in August, and I don't know if you've ever been to the Coachella Valley in August, but if you, if you haven't, don't go there. <laughs> Trust me, do not go there. This is miserable. I mean, it's hot. I mean, I'm talking 100 plus, 110, 115, 120, and it's humid. It's not dry heat then. It's dry heat most of the time, but not in August and September, man. It's got this humidity, and you see these thunderheads hanging up over Hammett there in the, in the foothills. But that, it never rains. It's like, wow, this is the rain. Never, com- never comes, never rains there during this time. It's just hot and humid. I mean, you, you, know, you, you get up in the morning, and you're sweating, and you go to the bed at night, and you're sweating. You're turning the AC on. You're still sweating. It's horrible. And to make matters worse, beloved, I moved down there with a dated little Hyundai that I bought over in Fremont, actually. And I remember it was on the showroom floor when I bought it. It was like the feature little car. It had a sunroof and everything. And the the dealer said, would you like, yeah, I'll take that one. Would you want to drive it? No, I'll just take it. That's fine. I got to get out of here. I got church tonight. Deliver it to my house. Sign the papers and I'm out of there. And, you know, being in the East Bay, you don't really need it much, but it didn't have any AC. Trust me, we needed AC in the desert, beloved. I mean, I remember Sunday mornings getting up and, and we're just, you know, we're inside the house. It's nice and cool. And, you know, I couldn't go start the car to cool it off because it had no AC. So I pulled out of the garage, put the windows down, and hopefully, you know, get some air moving in the car a little bit. And I remember we'd, we'd run to the car. We'd get in the car. And, and Crystal and Beacon and I would sit in the car. I'd back up, and we would not talk to each other because sweat just starts pouring down. And by the time we got to church, man, we're soaked. It's just miserable. It's just a miserable experience. 
And I, and I feel for Moses being down there. You know, I didn't golf. I didn't like to golf. And, you know, in August, it's horrible because they take all the golf courses right down to the dirt. And, and it's just a miserable place to be. I used to pick guys up at the airport. And they say, yeah, we got a great deal with that. I say, you got a great deal, all right. Wait till you get out there and try to golf in this stuff, man. It's not going to be fun. But he was there for 40 years. I mean, you think that would be a wasted time. But you know what? It wasn't. God's decrees, God's ways are unsearchable. His paths are inscrutable. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app. New and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.